What's up, honey? I'm Sadi Simone. For years, I was looking for a spiritual sanctuary, but never felt like I fit into the wellness space. I was so turned off by the idea that I had to fit into what spirituality should look like or should sound like, I carved out a niche of my own. By embracing my spiritual sassy nature, I became an embodied permission slip to allow others to do the same. Spiritually sass is owning where you fall on the many spectrums of life, living in a complex gray areas between normal and nonconformist. Whether you identify as plain vanilla or sparkly rainbow gelato, my community welcomes and celebrates you in all your delicious potential. This podcast is for people longing for an avant-garde awakening. On the Spiritually Sassy Show, we're going to explore and celebrate what it means to show up in your full power, feeling fabulous, looking fabulous, and making a fabulous impact together. One guest at a time, we're revolutionizing and redefining what it means to be spiritual in today's modern world. This episode of the Spiritually Sassy Show is brought to you by Tempest, a digital alcohol treatment program that empowers you to quit drinking and build a life you love. And my darling, my sweet, sweet darling, you're so worthy of creating a life that you love. Um, I'm a huge proponent of sobriety because I've seen firsthand how alcohol can devastate lives, including my own. And as part of my spiritual path, I choose to take a vow of sobriety. And this decision has radically changed my whole life for the better. I honestly didn't realize how much of my life was impacted by my alcohol consumption until I experienced the clarity of sober living. Because of that, I am so excited to share with you Tempest's revolutionary approach to sobriety. My darling, you don't need to take on a label or hit rock bottom. You know, their resources are open to anyone who wants to change their relationship with alcohol. And if you don't already know this, according to the CDC, in the United States, excessive alcohol use is responsible for more than 95,000 deaths per year, making it the third leading cause of preventable death. I mean, uh, uh, wow, for real. But the good news is, my love, is that with the right support system, you can turn your life around just like how I did. By combining the most effective evidence-based addiction treatment methods with relatable personal stories, Tempest is making sobriety accessible, intuitive, and worth celebrating. If you're questioning your own relationship with alcohol, become sober curious, honey, and see what changes for you. Visit JoinTempest.com to learn more about how it works and use code capital S-H- Capital S-A-H, I can't even spell my own name, S-A-H, capital S-A-H, number one and number five, SAW15, to get $15 off your monthly membership fee. And Tempest is spelled T-E-M-P-E-S-T. So join Tempest.com. Hello, my loves, and welcome back to the Spiritually Sassy Show. It is such an honor and a joy to introduce you to a dear friend of mine and the legendary 
Holly Whitaker. She's the founder of Tempest, which is the top digital alcohol treatment program. And she is the best-selling author of the iconic book, Quit Like a Woman. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Today we have the honor and the deep, deep joy of having Holly Whitaker with us on the show. Welcome, my love. Thank you so much. Um, I'm really excited to be here. Oh my God. So grateful for you and for all the things you've done and the way you show up in the world. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Same to you. Yeah. So where are you right now? Um, I'm in uh, upstate New York. So like the Catskills area of New York. Nice. Very mystical area there. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I never thought that I'm Californian and California to me is like, why would you ever leave? Um, Mm -hmm. And it was really hard when I moved to New York. And then I up here is like, I understand, like I understand why there is something beyond California. And um, (laughs) this is, it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever lived. It is. It's magical here. Yeah. I mean, there's so many iconic mystical traditions that have made um, a, a home base there, you know, so many have, people have met God in that region. There's so much there. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, right? It, it's a weird area and it's extremely rural, but there's also just like, it feels like everything is hidden in a hole, mm-hmm. you know, if that makes sense. Cause it's mm-hmm. so wide and big and, and I don't know. So yes, it is. It's an interesting area for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm in Boulder, Colorado right now. So, <laughs> oh, you are? Yeah, okay. I'm not in LA right in now. LA. <laughs> no, I came to Boulder to uh, meet with um uh, with a, a team here about a potential project, and then came to see Alexandra Roxo and her partner okay. Eli, and then I fly to Brazil on Thursday. Mm. Uh, start your I'm, summer. Well, it's, it's more like ancestor ancestral uh, healing work that will take place. I haven't gone back to Brazil in twenty years, so oh, really? <laughs> it's gonna be deep, honey. That's amazing. Yeah, pray That's for amazing. me. Pray for me. Starting Thursday, you know, put on the prayer warrior <laughs> and just send me the send me the highest prayers. Yeah, it's gonna. I be, think that's beautiful. Be How long are you gonna yeah. be there for? For two weeks. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, anyways, enough about me. Let's talk about you. All Thank right. you for doing everything you, you've done and you continue to do. And oh my God, so inspired by everything you do. First question I ask every guest, who are you right now in this moment? I don't know. I mean, that's like the <laughs> best way I can define it. I, don't, I, I do not know, mm-hmm. um, but I'm trying mm-hmm. to find out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a really bold uh, statement. And I love that. So thank you, my dear. Thank you for that. <laughs> you know, there's like the... I don't know if you've ever heard, it's like, um, there is like beginning, like one of my yoga teachers taught me this or talked about it one time, like a beginning student thinks or knows, knows they know nothing or just knows nothing. And Mm -hmm. then an intermediate student thinks they know everything. An advanced student absolutely knows that they know nothing. And I mean this by no means to say I'm an advanced student, but I do feel like so there was a point when I felt like I really knew everything yeah. and I had something figured out. And mm-hmm. it is very, very uh it's a it's a real sweet place to be in mm-hmm. to just realize you don't know. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. is where I am. And I don't know who I am and I'm trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Okay. While not knowing who you are right now, there were many massive moments of deep awakening that you created such huge impact in the world. You've changed yeah. many lives, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. How did you come about having this realization and this 
this deep, intimate connection to God, to the cosmic mother, to your Buddha nature. You talked about off the record, the Bhagavad Gita. So I assume a deep, intimate connection yeah. to Krishna. Um, how did you come about like any of these you know, revelatory moments before you started Tempest and before you wrote the legendary yeah. international bestseller, Quit Like a Woman, and before you became the living legend, Holly Whitaker? Like how, what <laughs> happened, you know? Yeah, that's a really great question, and I love it. And just feel free to interrupt me, but let me try and unpack this. Um, mm-hmm. Grew up Christian, Methodist, um, pretty liberal. Um, and I think the church was absolutely part of our lives um, and didn't believe in hell, really didn't believe in the devil. I had a, a pretty fortunate upbringing, and I think my parents both had a pretty healthy relationship with God, um, meaning God was not watching us to punish us. Um, and Still, I just didn't have a, I didn't have a connection to God other than I was fearsome, meaning I just, I, I prayed in case, right? Just in case there was something there when I died, just in case, you know, Mm -hmm. like, but, um, when I was getting sober, I had, it just was like, there was this moment on my knees in my apartment when I was giving up, I just couldn't do it anymore. And I did have this really, really. Uh, cliche moment of lying like like on my hands and knees on my floor and like drooling and crying and just repeating over and over again help me help me help me and then um the, a series of events happened after that like mm-hmm. I, I I mean I I went on I picked myself up I cleaned my apartment up I was it was re, it was you know deeply hungover still drunk like just mm-hmm. in the absolute pit of of despair and shame mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. not being able to go on, but I also had to work. Mm-hmm. And so I went through my motions of, of getting back to work and whatever. And then I think it was just these very strange coincidences, uh, you know, like mm-hmm. unfolded. And um, it was just something shifted in that moment. And I don't know how else to say it. Then mm-hmm. there was an opening Mm-hmm. What I would call now is like this opening and this softening and this surrendering. Mm-hmm. And that in that softness, um, the one of the one of the definitions of miracle is I, I think it's um I don't know what the root what the language root is, but mirari. Uh, I think it might be Greek, not sure. Um, mm-hmm. but it means just wrapped attention. And I think that miracles are just having attention for what's actually in front of us and not being Mm -hmm. distracted and uh, looking elsewhere. Mm. And I do think that that opening and that surrendering allowed me to pay attention to just universal workings, the way Mm. that things can, the way that your, your prayers are kind of always being answered if you would just look for it. Mm. And I had the sequence of events happen that uh, brought me to my first brought me to admitting that I had a problem with alcohol Mm -hmm. and it was, there's no other way it could have happened except for in this really odd sequence of events that started from that moment. Mm -hmm. And it's a really long story. So I'm not going to go through it, but Mm -hmm. I think that I just remember one night and I was maybe a couple, it was my first attempt at sobriety and I was talking to one of my friends and I was very excited. We Mm -hmm. were in a bar. I wasn't drinking. It was late. It was San Francisco. I, I, I said, I told her the whole series of events and mm-hmm. I was like, do you see, do you see? And I knew I sounded like a crazy person. I mm-hmm. knew I sounded uh, to her and mm-hmm. uh, she was like, yeah, nice. And then <laughs> like, nice, I was just shut like, up, let's, let's have a drink. And I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, the Buddha, when the Buddha, I don't know if you ever heard Pema tell this story, but like when um, 
um, Gautama Buddha like woke up and the first person he saw, he was like, you know, trying to explain his enlightenment. And the person was like, not like very nice. And then kept on walking (laughs) and it just like fell on deaf ears. And so I think similarly, I was just like, I had this very big thing happen. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. And then there was just also, you know, when you've been numbing for years, as I had been, between mm-hmm. eating disorders and drugs and alcohol mm-hmm. um, and and lots of things to distract myself from myself and never being able to be for myself. I just mm-hmm. – you, you start to metabolize all that pain and you're wide awake and, you know, you had a near-death experience and you – you know, addiction is sometimes a near-death experience and I'd had that. And mm-hmm. it was just like the – holy crap, everybody. Do you see like Mm -hmm. how, so it was just this, this very, very, I had a very big shift occur within me and I started to notice things and all of that, you know, it's a long, 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 long story, but Mm -hmm. it was opening. It wasn't, there was an opening. I surrendered. I started paying attention Mm -hmm. and I allowed myself to start to develop and, and all of the things like from having a therapist a therapist mm-hmm. who was like just a therapist, but who talked to me about my spirit guides and how they mm-hmm. were in the room. And like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was just having these different experiences from different people. And it felt like mm-hmm. I had so many helpers along the way. Mm-hmm. And like, everything was kind of nodding to me and saying, mm-hmm. go this way, go this mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And my life has not always, I, I'm not always in that state. I'm, I'm usually out of that state. Mm-hmm. I try very hard to like mm-hmm. remember my connection, but mm-hmm. it started from there. And I do feel, I mean, I just got a tattoo that says devoted. Like that is what I feel is the essence of, of my, the, the, it is the backbone of my life, which is mm. that I feel devoted and I feel faith. And if I have those things, devotion and faith, mm. right? Um, oh, know, my goodness. Bhakti and, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know what faith is. And Anyway, but, like, it's mm-hmm. just that those are the things that I think um, – I don't know. Those are those are those are the things that save me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it was through an alcohol. It was through having sort of a near death experience while uh, abusing alcohol that kind of woke you up. And then that first attempt to becoming sober, did it work? Did you follow through with it? No. I mean, I I started drinking again a couple months after that, mm-hmm, and. Mm-hmm. I uh, it took me a couple of attempts, but mm-hmm. it was you know I would say. It's just like, you know, there's this line in Course of Miracles that says like tolerance for pain may be high, but you're not without limit at some point sooner or later. Um, you realize there has to be a better way. And mm-hmm. I don't think I, it, it absolutely came to me because of addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, but I also think that's universal. I think mm-hmm. I have really easily recognizable addictions, but I think mm-hmm. for the most part, we're all in some ways, you know, like addicted to not being present addicted, addicted to, to suffering to not, addicted to yeah. being scattered addicted to to producing addicted to showing off addicted to pretending addicted to accumulation Ego. to greed i mean honey the <laughs> yeah. list goes on and on and on That's and right. on right. addiction is the culprit addiction to suffering is the culprit of our pain yeah. i think there's a quote from tiknaha he says we're so i'm paraphrasing and every time i paraphrase a saint it's always going to be a paraphrase saint through sa's mouth is going to sound sassy and twisted <laughs> But here it is, you know, Nahan, sounding sassy. Exactly. Right. He said, he says, honey, you, 
He says, he says something, and I've said this quote a million times on podcast because that's kind of like the backbone of my understanding of my own addiction and my own, yeah. uh, the culprit of my suffering. It's like we're, we've become so familiar with feeling like shit that that's to do right. anything different, it's so scary that we'd rather stay in misery, that's right. you know? And then when we stay that's in misery right. for it, when you, when you like are hanging out on a toilet and you're pooping for a, a little too long, it, the, the smell goes away. You could stay on there scrolling on Instagram and, and TikTok. No idea. And, and you're right. just like, the it's smell so goes away and your legs fall asleep. And then all you get up, you only wake up out of that, out of that trance that you're in around, right. you know, being scattered when your legs fall right. asleep and you try to get up and you're like, fuck, I can't get up. Um, right. But that kind of experience, it, it may happen to people only on towards the end of their life. You know, I think it, well, I think yeah. it's just like it's it is it's a, it's such a great thing and I think it's like the dolly pain, the dolly king pain right like Marion Williamson says we're mm. just gonna go back and forth quoting different spiritual leaders I mean um, honey this is the work we need to do <laughs> <laughs> I could do it all what day. else do we do um, and to follow the path yeah, of the right, great Marian saints Williamson you know once said. Yeah. but Marion Williamson did say like it's the she's dolly been on the show pain. oh my god yes. you, oh. yeah okay um, keep going go go what did she say. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> so, um, the dull, it's like, it's the choice between the dull aching pain, right? We would rather stay with the dull aching pain than the sharp pains of self-discovery, right? Mm. And so we do, like it is, it's sharp pain. It's very painful to change. That's right. Excruciating. Mm-hmm. Yet, like it is far more preferable once you've done it to the dull aching pain of mm-hmm. just surviving. That's right. right. That's right. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So this led you to then at this bar in San Francisco, then being like, I'm going to start Tempest and I'm going to change the whole recovery program. You know? I was trying to tell my friend about God. And then I was like, you know what I'm going to do? No, it was, um, I mean, it's such a monk. I mean, the, the Give me path- the bite size because it, you've literally like redesigned the whole paradigm for recovery, honey. Yeah. Like it's so, it's so profound what you've done yeah. for people, you know, yeah. and thank the cosmic mother for you. Like, oh my thank God, you. I'm just, it's, it's amazing that I, I can say, I know Holly Whitaker, you know, it's like, yes, honey. We were on a panel <laughs> together at a WeWork. Yes. Um, you know, I think that it, so what is the question? Cause the question is like that? after that bar experience yeah. that you're literally telling your friend, I had a mystical experience. The cosmic mother visited me. I met God. <laughs> I woke up. I'm no longer this person that I used to be. That person died. I don't know her. And this new version of me is yeah. looking for lucidity, awakefulness, yeah. transformation. Yeah. And I'm now miracle work and I'm going to start Tempest. Right? Did I do a good, good job? <laughs> you did a really good job. Okay. Perfect. Um, yeah, I think that it was, you know, I started to, my first experience of any sort of like, oh, there can be another way was 2012. Okay. So I'm going to be really clear. It was a really long process. I Mm -hmm. went to, uh, on my birthday, January of 2012, I went to, um, Esalen, Mm -hmm. uh, you know what Esalen is, right? Of course. Okay. (laughs) So many Um, synchronicities, like, yeah, (laughs) freaking out, keep going. (laughs) And, uh, I had a, I took a meditation course with, uh, James Braz, who's who I had no idea who he was. Uh, founder, he's the founder of Spirit Rock, um, and Casual, he's like one of those honey. original like Jewish yeah. Buddhists. Um, and it was just the, all I, it was all I needed, which was just like the smallest intervention of um, it was you know like I think like I'm saying this because I think we think like things have to be so grand, but my 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 shift was very long seated and I went away for a weekend. I meditated for maybe, um, you know, a a combined total of an hour over three days. And when I drove back to the city, I was just like, 
I was the happiest. I felt it was like, oh, right. This is what feeling alive feels like because I was mm-hmm. so dead inside. Mm-hmm. And um, I stopped at my friend's house and um, was like going to never drink again and never smoke pot again and um, ended up having a joint like before I even got back to my apartment. And so it went away pretty quickly. Um, mm-hmm. It did not stick with it, but it, it stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And so um, – you know, and I started to not drink in 2013. I kind of started to see it there. I had a very like it dripped, right? Mm-hmm. I there was a very like very very obvious point where it turned around for me, and mm-hmm. I had a very very transformational experience when I quit drinking, mm-hmm. and and how I quit drinking um, was very um, at the first try was it was ju- it felt easy and it came with all of this shift in my belief system around alcohol culture mm-hmm. and drinking culture mm-hmm. and but it was slow it was just like my process you know started in 2012 and then it took until until April 2013 to finally quit drinking altogether I was still smoking pot and still mm-hmm. smoking cigarettes and doing you know all the other drugs um mm-hmm. and binging and purging until like late 2013 early 2014 and mm-hmm. so over that period of time though um, I think there was just, I had, first of all, a very, what enabled me to shift my relationship with drinking and to not feel like, to not feel like I was sacrificing, but to feel like I was upgrading had so much to do with my initial belief system and education around the alcohol industry and also how, uh, how alcohol is really credited with uh, way too much in our society mm-hmm. and how, you know, for me, a, sh- a real simple way to put that is I just, I never thought about, I never looked at alcohol in terms of, um, I don't have to do this. I don't have to participate in my life this way. Mm-hmm. I don't have to drink. Mm-hmm. And that was so fundamental and so important to my own recovery. And mm-hmm. so, and not many people at that time thought that way. Very, very few people thought that way mm-hmm. in terms of it being a very good thing that you may have an issue with alcohol, mm-hmm. um, that it might be your body talking to you. Mm-hmm. Instead, it was really like, damn it, sucks to be you. Now you have to go sit over there in that side, side of the room where everyone mm-hmm. else can't do it anymore has to sit. And mm-hmm. so that was a very big shift for me. And yeah. then there were other really big shifts that were happening as well, which was um, I think I – I had uh, I worked in healthcare, and this was also right around the time, if you can remember, around the introduction of Obamacare. Um, I worked in a without going into too much detail. I I had been studying the future of of how healthcare would be paid for in this country, and I worked at a company that was really focused on. Um, providing this like more patient centric. Mm-hmm. Um, approach to healthcare where you yourself were, you know, really seen as um, the expert. And there was, there was a lot of stuff that was happening. And I think for me, it was even in this really progressive environment mm-hmm. uh, and, and like in the healthcare sector, which again, just catered to people that could afford it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I felt um, one, we had the wrong story about alcohol Two, We had uh, healthcare was never going to like, we put so much trust and faith in healthcare and healthcare system and doctors and medicine and so little faith in human beings. Mm. Um, and what I was really interested in 
while like from my job was understanding what actually helped people to heal and what actually helped people to change behaviors, be it like just adherence to diabetes, like diabetes medication. Mm -hmm. And it came from agency and empowerment versus, Mm -hmm. um, you know, versus more bureaucracy and administration. And Mm -hmm. so there was just like a lot of things that were happening. Mm -hmm. And then there was Mm -hmm. also this other piece, which was, I did, you know, I was six months over before, or I was on my recovery path six months before I used AA. And when I went into the rooms, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't crawling in there on my hands and knees and thinking this was the only game in town for my recovery. I had, I was well-researched at that point. I had a very different view on, on alcohol. I didn't feel like I was oppressed by not being able to drink. I didn't mm-hmm. feel like it was a sad thing. Mm. I was definitely recovering. I was definitely you know, scared shitless of alcohol in some ways. I was definitely, um, you know, in a room of peers, but it was not my medicine. And everyone kept on telling me this was supposed, like, there was so much resistance to me not using this program. And so mm-hmm. I think what what really, like, kind of pulled this all together was just those different poles of, like, the industry and, like, and society and culture, right? Anthropology, like, why mm-hmm. do we do what we fucking do? Mm-hmm. There was, you know, the healthcare system. It's a total failure. And it is absolutely, like, it is it is seen as what makes people well when oftentimes it's what makes people so sick. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is such a, a gross system that absolutely puts – well-being last mm-hmm. um, under the guise of putting it first. Mm-hmm. And and then there was just also – and I'm also like sent to these systems over here mm-hmm. that I find totally ineffective for me. And mm-hmm. so there was – it was just over time all of these things coming together. And I have to be really clear here. There were so many radical people that have – like the harm reduction move, movement is a radical movement mm-hmm. that's, that existed – Long before, um, you know, I put Tempest together. Uh, mm-hmm. Ken Wilbur and John Dupuis put together the integral recovery, like the integral map and the integral recovery model. Um, and I was at Johnston wrote a book about the alcohol industry and women in 2013. Um, Charlotte Castle, Jean Kilborn. There was so many, you know, Alan Carr. There's so many different folks along the way that, Mm -hmm. you know, have contributed to creating different models of care. And so Mm -hmm. for me, I'm a piece of that puzzle. And Tempest is a piece of that puzzle in that it is, it is meant to be radical in that it is meant to not just be, you know, you know, in in addiction recovery, oftentimes we're made to totally undervalue the, our, the cost of, like, it's either exorbitant and only a few people get into it. And by the way, it has an extremely, you know, like high recidivism rate. So people like have to go back and back. Um, or people don't have access to that and they're expected to use whatever free they have. And if you mm-hmm. charge for anything, um, then, you know, it's, it's meant to be, it's either this like exorbitant thing that we've all said is fine, or it's, you know, it's, it's robbery or it's taking advantage. Mm-hmm. And there is, like there is so like people in recovery and there's so many people that deserve and require recovery. It is something that should be of value and it is something that should be comprehensive and it is something that should be self-directed. And so really what Tempest was, was this attempt to give individuals the choice to create a holistic path to recovery, have all the knowledge at their fingertips that would help them to put together what a recovery map would look like that was particular to them, that would trust them in that process and give Mm -hmm. them access to all these different things that are scattered across 
psychotherapy and the medical system and acupuncture mm-hmm. and spiritual systems mm-hmm. and and whatnot to give it to people in one place so that they could have a robust path to recovery. And so that was, you know, and I wanted it eventually to be something that was just, you know, grew into a, you know, for me, the vision was just a, a cheaper access point for a more holistic system um, that was not, you know, doctor led, but mm-hmm. person led. So mm. I was really long winded response. Oh my I'm God, sure. it was so needed. It was so needed because, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, it's really incredible to show to people that like a, a um, a, a company, a movement this big, like you've created, um, it's not an overnight thing, you know, it's many, it's a, it's a, it's a, a lot of, a lot of, a, there's so many, there's so much that, that, that you have to do to get to this point of actually like creating something that has such a heavenly impact in, in the collective. And then you're also teaching people how to swim up against the stream, you're telling people, honey, keep drinking. You, I know this raft is very cute and you're above water and it's a cute look. And you're like, you know, sipping your margarita. But girl, I promise you down that way, there's a waterfall. So you're going to fall. <laughs> you're going to hit your head. And, well, and it's you know, also, but it's also not like watch out danger. You're on the road to hell. Right. Because I also think like this is what harm reduction teaches us, so that mm. it's not like that we can't make the drugs bad. Right. Like that, like there is, there is. It really, really, really comes down to giving people options and trusting people with information. And I think what's so interesting about alcohol is there is no inform like the whole thing about right Purdue Pharma's like or or like you know psychopharm like um like SSRIs or or mm-hmm. um, antidepressants mm-hmm. is this idea of informed consent of knowing what you're getting yourself into when you do something mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we don't have informed consent around alcohol consumption we mm-hmm. have almost like compulsory mm-hmm. um at usage you turn 21 you, you turn of age you're supposed to do this mm-hmm. um this is what you're supposed to do mm-hmm. and you don't under you you don't get the long list mm-hmm. of here's all the things that could happen to you mm-hmm. and make your best decision with like a full set of information mm-hmm. and also how you've been manipulated into thinking this is a necessary part of your life mm-hmm. so it's like sh- it's not showing them the cliff necessarily though that's really important i think it's also showing them like there's like if you go down this other river i promise you you will be fed Mm -hmm. you will be clothed you will have all of what you need and it will be so much better than Mm -hmm. than what you've settled for Mm -hmm. yeah and i think you know for everyone who's who's and you and i were talking about this before we got on the record if you're in it and if this lifetime you're determined and disciplined and devoted, as your new tattoo says, um, to become liberated, to to really yeah. experience, have an intimate connection with the cosmic mother, to really intimately dance with God on a day to day basis, every moment, um, I ha- you have to question your relationship to drugs and alcohol. You have to, yeah. you know, you yeah. have to pause and just and just recognize that, like. Oh shit! I have been going to happy hour because I'm looking for happiness. I have right. been going to happy hour because that's where I meet God. It's because I'm lubricated enough that I talk to people and then I cry and I laugh and and I'm fine. <laughs> it's my church. Leave yeah. me alone. It's like no, sweet love. That church is a misguided approach to liberation. I was there too, yeah, right. many, 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 that's many right. years of that. So that's when right. I have this very radical sort of uh, that way, you're going to meet the waterfall. It's not going to be a good look. I just want people to understand that you have to question, you know, use the work of what uh, the 
you know this this uh, uh, the work of, of of Ruby Warrington with So Be Curious. Use the you know read uh, Holly Whitaker's book Quit Like a Woman and check out Tempest. Do what you need to do to awake. Lucidity is the path to liberation. You have to yeah. question where you are leaking your energy. So many people I talk to are like, oh, but I only drink at the end of the week. You know, after I've had a long week, it's my prize. My love, if your prize is to become intoxicated, then we got to look at that, sis. There's something yeah. for you there. You know, yeah. if a little bit of a glitch and a little bit of, 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 of a trigger, you are immediately going for, for, for the bottle, for the drugs and whatever, maybe like something, you got to look at that, you know, you got to look at that shit. So when we're talking about this radical lucidity and awakefulness, um, it's a, it's about having the audacity to question this hallucinated approach that we've been socializing to believing that alcohol leads you to some sort of genuine happiness, you know, and drugs yeah. too. Like, you know, I, I'm four years and a half sober and it took me after I had my awakening in the fall of 2012, took me almost five years after I had already gone to India, you know, three or four times, had already all met the saints. I had already done all the things and I was still saying, no, I'm fine. But you know, there's yeah. the, it was a psychological residue of having a couple of beers, a couple a glass, a couple, a, a glass of wine, and smoking just a couple of joints, and and the psychological residue that he had for a few days after that it wasn't it wasn't supportive to to spiritual liberation yeah. practice, you know. Um, so you have to question yourself: How free do you want to be? You know, how free do yeah. you want to be? And remember what Ram Das so so profoundly said: It's he said, you know, when when I'm paraphrasing, of course, remember that. So he said something to the degree: It's like. Uh, do you want to be high or do you want to be free? You know, I, yeah. I know I want to become free. I, I was yeah. tired of, of getting high and then crashing after, after flying for a little while, you know, I would just yeah. blackout culture and you know, it, it goes on and on and on. So yeah, I, I, I just, it's wild to think that, that we've been socialized into a culture that, that puts alcohol on billboards it's like, what? But it's not. It's the system as designed. You know what I mean? Of course it is. It's just, it's part of the system. It's part of what actually keeps us from, 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 ha it keeps us, it keeps us submissive, right? It's something that, That's right. it's a numbing agent. That's and right. It's a, it's a, it is a, it's a tool that keeps us from actually self-discovery which is the most dangerous thing of all right which is self-empowerment say it honey oh my god <laughs> <laughs> well because when you figure that out when you figure out that you when you figure out the depth of what's inside of you you mm -hmm. know it's there is no stopping you, mm -hmm. right? No, no external thing can stop you. That's and right. That's terrifying. Yeah I want to talk to you about like the <clears throat> the challenges of your sober journey, because it was two years into my journey that I started to be able to like socialize again in the old places that I could like mm -hmm. actually talk to the people from the, the previous iteration expression of this experience that we call Sa, that I could go to a music festival, that I could be around people doing ketamine and drinking tequila shots at eight in the morning, that I had no judgment in my mind. I wasn't being critical of their experience or feeling like I was missing out. I was in Portugal uh, teaching at this uh, a boom festival and it's like the Burning Man of Europe. And um, that I was like, oh shit, it's two year mark. Like, okay, cool. Uh, I had just crossed a two-year mark. It was June when I was there. So, Mayo, June. So, it was a month after 
I was okay. in Portugal teaching and, and that kind of like, I was like, oh shit, I, I could do this. I think the old yeah. world and the new world have merged. It's like, we're here, we're here yeah. and I'm here. It's an, it's a new version of Sa. Um, and, 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 and how did you enjoy it? I mean, it was the most legendary experience. I had people coming up to me every five minutes saying, girl, give me some of that shit. I'm like, honey, I had an acai and a coffee and I'm, I'm high on my <laughs> breath, you know? <laughs> like this, if you want this, it's right there. It's like, you know, acai with some yeah, with some yeah, granola yeah. And, and, a, and a cappuccino with oat yeah. milk. You know what I mean? Live yeah. that freedom. It's right there, you know? Um, so it was, it was that, you know, and, and, and it's continued to become that, that experience where I've gone to, to clubs and, and, and late night parties and people are constantly saying, Hey, let me get some. And I'm like, uh, there's nothing to get. It's, it's soda water, (laughs) you know, it's just a sparkling water with a lemon, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, you know, so I want to hear about your journey because, um, the empowerment piece and also reminding people that you're doing, you're swimming up against the stream. So it is going to be, you know, hiking Everest in the winter time. You know, you're yeah. not going up to, to the Himalayan region in summer, which is still very fucking hard, but it's like, you're choosing to do something that is, that is, I mean, in today's world is, there's a lot of, there's a lot of support for it. Yeah. Thanks to you. Uh, and, and but the work- it still is really hard, especially because most of us will have lived our lives surrounding ourselves and our, our circumstances are probably pretty, so like it's alcohol specific or whatever, whatever you're using, you've got you know, you've, you've set your life up and you have a lot of people invested in your continued use. Yep. So, um, yeah, it is. Um, I had a very different experience than yours. So I, um, wasn't afraid of going, I wanted to actually really conquer that early on. Wow. I kept, um, I kept a bottle of whiskey in my house. Holly, um, wait, you're, I, I knew you were some next level saint, but like, holy shit. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I did it because I didn't want to be afraid of alcohol. I just didn't want to be afraid of it. That was it. I was terrified of it and I didn't want to be afraid of it. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, I mean, for a while, like I would still go out with my friends. I just remember those like one night going out with people and just like so committed to it. And going out until like 4 a.m. And one of my friends is a bartender and the bar was shut down and we were inside and everyone mm-hmm. was drinking like whiskey out of teacups. And I was drinking tea out of a teacup and everyone was, you know, it was just, it was so obvious, you know, and no one gave me a hard time. I mean, there was a hard time, but not really. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just that I felt like I was really forcing it and being like, I'm having fun. This is great. Versus I wish I was, I didn't wish I was drunk. Um, I think mm-hmm. that. That again, the psychological reconfigure, like the like really working on my belief system. Like this, mm-hmm. I don't want to. Like I get to not do this anymore. I get to not be hungover tomorrow. I get to remember everything that happened. I get to go home and eat a pint of ice cream because it's mm-hmm. you know a third of the calories I would consume if mm-hmm. I were drinking whiskey and IPAs. So mm-hmm. I was very commi- I was very excited to quit drinking, which is a you know weird thing. But um, wow, I think like it was less of it was you know. I, I was hanging on to ghosts and slowly it just was, I was changing, you know, and that was it. And I didn't have the same connection Mm -hmm. to those friends anymore. Mm -hmm. And there was a very, you know, liminal period of losing that scene and not having a new scene. Mm -hmm. And I think that I, I got, you know, I'm a very, um, 
I just am a quiet, I'm a loud person when I'm around people that I love deeply. And I, I mean, I am, I'm kind of, I'm just like a, I'm a weirdo in that way. I'm, I'm a lot to handle. Um, but I'm also like, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, um, you know, like naturally drunk and I'm also kind of naturally like a 80 year old woman. Mm-hmm. And so, or like an 80 year old man is more like it. I'm just like, I'm just kind of like, I get cold and I like to be cozy and I, you know, don't mm-hmm. like loud noises. And, um, I think I have naturally learned to listen to what environments I like to be in. Um, and I have also learned to do those things and to not try and wear old coats. Mm. Um, they don't fit me anymore. Mm-hmm. And I, I also think there's just a, a piece to this of, I've just been really patient with myself in this process mm-hmm. in, in finding it's taken me many tries, you know, of creating friendships and community and fun and all sorts of different things. Mm-hmm. And I, it's just, I think I enjoy myself when I, I went to a barbecue the other day and it wasn't really, it was my neighborhood up here and it was, it wasn't even a barbecue. We we're just eating chips and crap, but like, I just don't, it doesn't even occur to me that I need to drink. And I, I think I, I love, I have, exp- I have learned to love my awkwardness mm-hmm. around people. I'm just, we, you know, I don't walk into a party like I would have if I were three beers in. I walk in with social anxiety and I love bringing that girl to parties and, and like, you know, putting her there and giving her her place in, in, in the world, even though it can be hard for her mm. and not telling her she needs to like hide that or numb it down or mm-hmm. change it. And so I think that I am not naturally like you. Um, at I, If I were at a rave, I would be – or not a rave. I don't even know what it is. That's how old – okay. <laughs> Whatever you were at, <laughs> where people it's, think it's, you're yeah. on drugs, yeah. I um, would – that would be so forced for me now. Mm-hmm. It would just not be my scene at all, you mm-hmm. know? But I don't need alcohol to lower my inhibitions when I – I mean, I can still get my wild on. It just looks a lot different now. Mm-hmm. And – I also, I let the expression of myself be enough. And if I'm nervous and I'm awkward and I'm all over the place, she deserves a place at that at that party too. Mm. And that's been really sweet. Does that make sense? Oh my God, this is so genius. Last night I went to a ritual for the Day of the Dead and you know, we were of course creating spaces in our for for the dead in our heart, but we're also creating space in our heart for all the parts of ourselves that we we hate, Killed. we don't like, that we yeah. you know, don't bring that don't bring that that anxious girl to the party. Don't bring, you know, like don't. Don't bring that yeah. scattered uh girl to like no. And, and yeah. last night was all about opening your heart to like inviting them all to the to the table of our heart and like really yeah. loving all of them and um, we sing songs to them, and in and one of the songs that brings up a question to me was it was the Hoponopono prayer, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know it. You don't know it, okay? So no. it, it's it's the Hawaiian prayer of forgiveness. Uh, it's a, it's a legendary oh, please, prayer. Yes. Yes. Yeah, but can you repeat it? Yeah. So he goes, it goes, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. And it was this amazing. If someone people. broke up with me with that. Oh, <laughs> that was the first time I heard it. I said um, one of my friends and I was like, this is what they sent me in a text message. And my friend goes, that's the what is it again? The hope on a prayer. Hope on a prayer. <laughs> I was yeah. like, they did. Fuck. That. That's okay, well, where they 
well, waking up with something with it. Anyway, but yes, it is a beautiful prayer. It is yeah. a beautiful. Prayer. And then that asks that leads me to like a question that I ask every guest and and um about forgiveness. Like, what's your relationship with forgiveness? And I think us on the on the on the path of recovery, on the path of like true liberation, forgiveness for me feels like a sort of a, a, a foundation, like another tattoo is devotion, forgiveness, faith. You know, it's, I feel like yeah. forgiveness is one of those that like are, are like a required reading to be able to graduate yeah. on the spiritual path, you know? Um, so I want to hear from mm-hmm. you. What's, what has forgiveness been like for you? And again, maybe you'd be like, you know, Asa, cute look, sis. I'm glad forgiveness has been that big of a thing for you. But like for me, I've had that before. Um, I really love that person that said that too. Um, I think, uh, it is interesting. I, I, I left like a eight minute conversation or an eight minute, um, Voice text note. memo mm-hmm. to, um, my friend, uh, Laura Robbins. I don't, anyway, I, mm-hmm. we were talking, she called me and she said something and she had assumed that I had wronged people when I was, um, using. Mm-hmm. And then I I was just like working it out with her. And because actually for me, I didn't go in through an immense process. Um, and I actually recorded a, one of the first podcasts. I used to have a podcast way back when. And um, when we talked about forgiveness, mm-hmm. I actually brought up I owed myself apologies mm-hmm. and my immense process has been with myself. That's right. Same for and me. And what I hurt myself. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean because I that's understanding it, but that's not experiencing it. And I still I think that the work of self-forgiveness, I mean, right? Like you <laughs> should go back. I love that we can talk about spiritual shit here. Okay, the course course of miracles, right? Honey, you're keep aware going. of the this is the only thing okay. we're about we're about, sis. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> as um, long as it's sassy, it's allowed, you know? And I naturally you are the epitome of spiritually sassy. So hello. Let it's it so rip. Good. Okay. Uh, Course of Miracles says essentially that my sister and I were actually talking about this the other day because I don't know. We're talking about the end of the world. And I was like, well, the end of the world according to the Course of Miracle Course of Miracles is is the atonement. And the atonement is this this idea, and I, and I am, I'll say the same thing. I'm paraphrasing here, but the, the atonement according to Course in Miracles mm-hmm. is like the moment of la- the last judgment. And it means like when the last judgments uh, are passed, not like when we're finally judged and killed or burned, mm-hmm. but when we stop passing judgment, when mm-hmm. we cannot, when we no longer actually consider ourselves as sinful or, or hold ourselves in guilt. Mm-hmm. And so... For me, that was a really, really big concept mm-hmm. at the beginning of, of my recovery was that I, I understood the idea of guilt, of that, that a person could be guilty. Like God doesn't think of us as guilty or sinners. Mm-hmm. We think of ourselves as mm-hmm. guilty, bad, wrong, sinful. And that when we realize we are guiltless, then that is when essentially the we pass when we all can like bring each other along into that which also means not saying that person over there is fucked up and that person over there deserves to burn and that person over there you know it's just it's not just it's not just self it's all and so that's how i think of forgiveness which is that the only part that's holding anybody in guilt is the is also the part of me that's not real and so i 
that's that's I'm good at I'm good at like the the yana right I'm good at the knowledge mm-hmm. I'm not less necessarily good at the experience like allowing myself to fully experience it so mm-hmm. I can tell you all the smart things that mm-hmm. I know and believe fully mm-hmm. believe mm-hmm. but also to experience it is totally different and my friend called me the other night and she was I was in hell and it was I'd given a talk in Boston it was like sold out show at, or what up show talk mm-hmm. and it was wonderful and I was just I I am in a period of time right now where I don't want to be on stages and mm-hmm. I don't want to be communicating in front of people. I want to just be in my own little nest and it knocked me into complete depression. And the next day, it's like a Thursday, I'm lying on my couch and I'm like, I've got cold depression and I just hate myself. And one of my friends called, and I hate myself because I don't hate myself fully. I'm experiencing self-hatred, right? Mm-hmm. Which is two different things. That's but right. I my friend calls me and she's, you know, freaking, she's a, one of the most, she's, she's a, she's a spiritual mentor. Like she's so wise mm-hmm. and she's lived, she walks the walk and she does the work and, um, she, you would love her. And anyway, so she called me and she's going through the same thing. And she says, um, I just wonder, I'm so exhausted by myself because I like I was exhausted by myself because I'm complaining about I just like did one or two little wrong things and I'm like, oh Holly, you know, and she's like, I am so sick of myself and I'm so I'm so sick of being exhausted by myself and I wonder when I just let go. And I just I had this moment, if you don't mind me explaining this to you, because this is really profound. So my love, I'm literally gagging over here <laughs> and like you're gonna make me cry the direction of where you're going. I'm like, oh honey, shit. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> so she's saying that and she called. So I'm at the lowest of my low. And I'm just like, Holly, like how how come you make it so hard on yourself? Like you are so exhausting and and this beautiful person calls me and she's like, I am wondering, I'm so exhausted by this part of myself and I'm just wondering, you know, and, and she's been in recovery for like 20 years, you know, and it's just like, and it was like she was talking to me. It was like my inner voice was like calling me on the phone and telling me the story of how they feel about themselves. And I was just, I was talking back to her from just from complete and total exact experience. And then we had this beautiful conversation that felt like God, right? Mm-hmm. It was just like this divine intervention. And then I came upstairs and I, I was doing my meditation and I was doing it. And all of a sudden, I just had this flash. Okay, so I've been watching Westworld 3. I know this is like, we were a little off the ranch here, but like I've been watching Westworld 3 and there's this scene at the end. If you haven't seen any of the Westworlds, it took me years to watch the final season. Mm-hmm. But there's a scene at the end, and mm-hmm. Dolores, who is a robot, they're erasing all of her memories. Dolores is like, she's she's like gonna outlive everybody, and she you know takes no shit, and she wants to save the world, and she's lying on the floor, and she's like. She is not giving up. They're trying to like destroy her. And I think what's her name? Um, Tandy Newton. And she changed it. I can't remember what her her new name is. But Tandy Newton came in Mm -hmm. and sees Dolores lying on the floor. And she's like, Dolores is just hanging on. She won't give up. And Tandy says something like, why won't she just give up already? And when I saw that, I I just saw this, this aspect of myself that won't – that like – 
is that part that's exhausting, that wants to cling to the negative, that wants to – you know what I mean? Like that exhausting part of me is like that like robot that won't give up and also that's like one of the best parts of me is like I am such a fierce fucking fighter. So of course I am exhausting. Of course I am tired of that aspect of myself. Mm -hmm. And so I had this moment and I just like – just like your your Day of the Dead ceremony. Mm -hmm. But like I mean I've done shadow work before but I think again we can go through the motions but then there are just some moments where it's stacked up and we actually get it. And I had this moment of just seeing myself on the floor, just trying to like using my best survival tool, which is just being a pain in the ass and being unrelenting and being exhausting and exhausting this other part of me. And Mm -hmm. instead of hating her and wishing her to go away and fucking die already and wanting to just be over this part, I saw her for what she has given me and what she and and all of her beauty and all of her strengths that can be turned in on itself. And so I had mm-hmm. that moment of blessing of just thanking her mm-hmm. for staying so vigilant to the point of exhausting her own self, you mm-hmm. know? And and that for me is is forgiveness. That mm-hmm. is that for me there is the high concept of it, but there are also just those real moments where it actually penetrates your fucking heart and you're just you understand it and you can actually love it. Not like you're supposed to love it because we're supposed to love all parts of ourselves, but mm-hmm. when you actually learn to love it mm-hmm. because you see it for what it is. Mm-hmm. Oof. So. Uh, I feel like I received the transmission that I needed. So thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Should I send you a Venmo, honey? Because that was so great. <laughs> I call it even. Oh my I, God, sis. You, <sighs> it's so important, right? I mean- Tell, can you tell me a little bit about exa- like what are you exhaust like what what made what was familiar when I first started talking about this? Ah, uh, clinging on to the negative parts, you know, and yeah. like being ex- like whole, what landed for me so deeply from what you said it was like judging myself for having these negative parts of these like parts of myself yeah. that I don't like. It's one thing I've been talking about li- recently. It's like stop demonizing your demons. Stop it. It's like invite them for tea. And, you know, there's so much about that. Love them. Invite them in. And to genuinely say what you said there, love all parts of yourself. It can be such an intellectual concept in this age of of sugar rush spirituality and bubblegum spirituality of Instagram. I I, I love, I unconditionally love myself. It's like, do you really? Do you really love that part of you that is just... That, that that's you know that you've that that those really nagging distracting hurtful discombobulated you know uh confused parts of yourself that are that yeah. so often we are so we've given all of our power to them because and giving our power to them means that we're trying to run away from them we're numbing them yeah. we're trying to do everything we can we judge ourselves that's for right. having them around and it's that's what i mean by running away from them when that's i talk right. about stopping demonizing your demons it's like turn and face them. Hey, girl, exhaustion, clinginess, greed, hatred, anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation. That's my that's my story. What yeah. do you need, sis? And then yeah. when you listen with the ears of the now, as soon as you're done with your meditation practice or as soon as you're done uh, with your breath practice or going for a walk or eating something delicious, something that, that cultivates presence, that opens yeah. up the inner working space in your mind, in your heart, that you're able to like cultivate just a tiny bit of silence, right? That's when you know you're here in the now work. Take a deep breath. Deep breath is the way to connect to the mother, right? Open yourself to the here and now. And that's when you ask the demon, what do you need, honey? And you're going to hear, 
You're going to hear the solution. A demon is, a, is an angel in the skies, you know? Remember yeah, what Ram Dass said, every, every, see everyone as a Buddha in drag. I mean, that's yeah. Buddha, no, God in drag. Yeah, God in yeah. drag. And that's what it is. You yeah. know, and Rumi talks about this so often, like, think of your inner world as a revolving door. Everyone that's visiting you, it's because you sent out a fucking invitation, you know, yeah. and they're there to offer you a, a lesson and a, and a blessing. Inter, interweaved is a lesson and it's a lesson and a blessing, you know. And um, so as you're saying all this, I was like, yeah, how so many, I, I still, just earlier today, I was just like, you know, spiraling in and in, in, in feeling like gross about some of the ways that I've lived in my past and then worrying about the future. Am I making all the wrong decisions? And and I always do it wrong. And then the spiral goes like, you always do it wrong. And it's always going to be like that. And, and then you think it's solid. I know. And you think it's solid. Yeah, you are you again permanent. with your same old shit. Yeah. And it's exact. yes. And I'm going to always be, I've done all this fucking work and I'm still this fucking petty, yeah. selfish, terrified, yeah. sloth-like, whatever. Yeah. You know, uh, Ram Dass, Again, like you just brought him up. I was actually going to say before you said that, like, because this is his sweet spot. This is why I love Ram Dass's work because he was such a fuck up, you know, mm-hmm. and like in in all the right ways and like mm-hmm. loved like like as part of his work was so, so humble about all of the ways that he failed and mm-hmm. as a human being. And I don't mm-hmm. mean fail in the traditional sense, but just all the like all of his like all of his humanness. And there was this one thing. He, in the book that I was telling you about, it's called the, it's called Paths to Gods. And I think it's the subtitles, like something living the Bhagavad Gita. But mm-hmm. one of the things that he talks about in it is a practice that he does where he invites somebody in and he asks them to say, to tell him to like, con- to like, uh, confide in him the, the worst thing that they've, the most disgusting thing about them. Mm-hmm. And with the promise that he's heard it all and nothing will surprise him. And there's nothing that they can mm-hmm. say that they do that will, that will make them, I, I don't even know what the, what the right word is, but mm-hmm. push them out of grace or mm-hmm. worthiness or whatever, mm-hmm. that we are all of it. And that is the work, which is like, but it is so hard to do it because you can say that, but then also when you're, when you're, when you're, you know, kind of a, fucking bitch when you didn't mean to Mm -hmm. and you Mm -hmm. don't want to be that way you know Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. when you're just like petty and you see your pettiness come up Mm -hmm. or jealous or competitive or whatever Mm -hmm. and you're just like no 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 no. we're growing beyond that we're growing beyond that we're not supposed to be that Ugh, there you are again it's so hard in those moments Mm -hmm. to just be so forgiving and accepting of ourselves Mm -hmm. and and loving of all of those parts Mm -hmm. and curious about it Mm -hmm. and amused by it yeah that's that's a it's a Hard, hard, hard tasks. Easy said, very difficult to do. Very difficult to do and an ongoing art. I think forgiveness yeah. is a is a never finished canvas. It's something that you work on it. You put a little splash of paint, a little, you know, a little sprinkle of glitter. You may do a little this, a little bit of that. There's always a little something that you're adding to it, but it's just an ongoing practice. You know, I think I think it's the our ability to forgive is 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 has everything to do with our ability to let go and and when we recognize yeah. that every thought every feeling every single thing that we that we perceive to be who we are the more we let go and we talked about this the burning down our old versions of ourselves letting go of the you know this this idea that we have this these strong labels that we've overly identified ourselves with and and allowing them to, to 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 die, and it's in that letting go process that forgiveness becomes more available. And um, I've just have to, I've just been working on it so long, and I always bring it up in a podcast because I think forgiveness is the nectar to bringing the world into harmony. 
When we stop yeah. punishing ourselves and we stop thinking that by punishing other people, we're going to course correct them into yeah, becoming right? good. You yeah, know, we sure, know that, that punitive justice is is flawed. You know, we only know, we know through mystical traditions and indigenous and shamanic cultures across the world that it's only through restoration that people can touch right. touch God and experience the mother. That's right. You know, there's From no... being reminded at their lowest of their divinity, not not beaten further. That's right. It, we, yeah, it's so beautifully said. And I think the point you brought up of it, it, it like forgiveness is letting go, right? It, mm-hmm. it, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's a letting go. And I think that it is an, a for, letting go is a forever practice, mm-hmm. right? It's just, mm-hmm. and I think let that this go, how do you let that go? How do you let this go? You know, a constant and being great. One of my gurus says, you know, the, 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 the work is about making the mind, <clears throat> I think it's Jitsuma Tenzin Palmo. I took the Bodhisattva vow with her years ago. And she says, she says, the whole work is about making the mind less sticky, you know, less like a Velcro, more like mm-hmm. silk. And and yeah. a, a silky mind is a mind that lets go. It's a mind that that's able to allow things to come and go, you know, yeah. and stop adding to imposing all this other shit on top of it. You know, it's yeah. like, it's so wild. And I, and I had someone on a podcast talking about the course too, because we talk a lot about, about the course on, on the show. My boyfriend is a huge advocate of the course. Um, and I, and I've started to do the practices too and read it. Uh, and, you know, something that they said, I forgot the exact words, but it was like, you know, the, um, the consequence of forgiveness is love. So the more you choose to forgive, <laughs> the more love will prevail in your life. The consequence yeah. of hate and, and, and perpetual guilt and blame and, and greed, it's, it's more of that. So I think yeah. when we always think about consequences, having like a negative uh, uh, um, related, it's uh, this negative connotation to it. And, and I think the Course speaks about this new way of understanding that the consequence of forgiving is love. And why the fuck would we not want more love in our lives? I mean, I, you know. it is so hard because it takes, because it takes my sister and I got in a fight the other day and it was nothing. It was just like, I said something about, <laughs> I didn't even, it wasn't even a jab and she mistook it as a jab. And then she responded in her typical way. And then I responded in my typical way. And it started to go nuclear and we were both sitting there. Because it's so painful to open the door to each other because mm-hmm. our habit is just to like throw fire and to just like just hurt each other as much as possible. And that like breaking those patterns and forgiveness, opening yourself up to forgiveness when you are mad as fucking hell. And when you like when it like when it feels like it will annihilate you, it's a self-protection thing. It feels like it will annihilate you if you open the door and you're vulnerable in that moment. Mm-hmm. And, and so it is like, yes, the consequences of it is love, but also it is like the utmost vulnerable and, and almost like mm-hmm. it's, 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 if you think about it, like we close down and pro- to protect ourselves, you make yourself not just vulnerable and like my feelings might be hurt, but it feels like it feels like you could be killed <laughs> in some ways. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in that moment, I'm just trying to think because it was so recent. It was so hot and it was so hard. And I wanted to be right. And I wanted her to suffer. And mm-hmm. she wanted, you know what I mean? We just wanted to go down that path. And we both took like an hour 
And it was so hard. It felt like everything in me wanted to just chuck it and run and not talk to her for six months and then pretend like nothing happened, which is our pattern. Mm -hmm. And instead, we both took these steps to saying, hey, this is how I heard this and this is how I feel. And we ended up even having a phone call that night. And it's just like 40 years of patterning and and Mm -hmm. being in this. Mm -hmm. But it is like – it is – we make it – that is one of those things that make it seem – it is so important. Forgiveness. Forgiveness of all, right? Forgiveness of all. Mm-hmm. Like without exception. Mm-hmm. It, it's not easy. It's the hardest thing in the world because it requires us to become vulnerable. And being vulnerable is the hardest thing for humans to do, I believe. I think that is – I agree. That is the hardest thing. Mm-hmm. And if you grew up in a house that that authenticity and vulnerability uh, was not part of the space, you know, in a house that the emotional intelligence was not there and that forgiveness was not there, you're going to see somebody talking about forgiveness and being authentic and vulnerable as insanity. You know, it's just yeah, this. It's just the way I've also. Or it's like, I mean, if they were, in, it's if it, if it's abuse and your trauma pattern is like, you know, mm-hmm. like there's like it is. It's so. I was. It is to me. It was an, a total animal response. You mm-hmm. know, it's a total animal response, mm-hmm. and you have to override that animal response, which takes so much work. It's it's taken me, you know, almost ten years of recovery. Nine, yeah, twenty twenty two. It's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. almost ten years of recovery. Mm-hmm. To be able to not go nuclear with my sister, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, my no, God. I can once. relate. I can relate 100%. <laughs> and for the sake of everybody listening, it was like, oh, fuck forgiveness. I only just want to remind something just a tiny little bit before we, I ask you the last question we close. Um, it's like forgiveness is also the, the, the release of the desire to punish. You know, like relinquishing the desperate insatiability of punishing others or punishing ourselves. Well, you're punished, but you're not punishing others. You're only punishing yourself. You're only strengthening that within Mm -hmm. you that feels terrible. Mm -hmm. That's it. You're only building a case for why you shouldn't be forgiven, why Mm -hmm. you're bad. And Mm -hmm. so it is like, it's just like that, you know, whatever it is, like drinking, you know, being angry or whatever is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. That's right. That's right, honey. Say it loud and clear because that's what it is. So, you know, if someone's if someone's harmed you or you've harmed somebody, you know, you also have to have, you know, this this um, this openness to um, the change of the karmic patterns that are tied to the consequences related to what you did or was done to you, whatever shape or form. Really, like the only way to change the karmic momentum of your con- of the consequence of your past actions is through prayer, is through service, is through meditation, is through breath, is through um, you know uh, really really comes down to across every mystical tradition is service. You know, and you're not yeah. serving out of guilt; you're serving out of out of remorse. And remorse is an orientation of liberation. It's different than guilt. It's different than shame. It's remorse is, is an alliance with, with the cosmic mother. It's one that says, I will no longer do what I did. Um, yeah. and I will, uh, and I my my moral code, my code of ethics has been upgraded through the, yeah. through the depth of my pain that I've experienced. So, you know, and so stop, thinking stop with this punitive approach to to those who've harmed you stop this punitive approach towards yourself and the ways you've harmed other other people like you have to open up to the natural law of karma also known as the natural law of justice that like you know it, everything every single thing that we do think say feel uh, has a consequence 
you know, and, yeah. and some of these consequences are not going to happen tomorrow, the next day or the next year. Um, they may happen in the next life. And, and, and that is devotion to the unseen world. That is devotion to the great mystery where we have to just stop trying to expedite things in the world of, yeah. of, of quick fixes. We think that we can, that by punitive, being punitive to people and to ourselves, we're expediting a change. And, and there's, there's a beautiful, you know, momentum to change, but it's a slow drip, you know, does that make sense? Am I making sense with any of this? It does. You make, you make perfect sense. And I think that one of the things too, is just being patient for ourselves with ourselves as well. You, you know, when we, when we continue to choose, like we might logically get it, mm-hmm. but it's really hard to practice it, or we might not logically get it. And we just need to be closed-minded and in our anger. And I think like the other piece of this is that the pre- the path to getting to any sort of awareness on, on any of this and being, and leaning towards forgiveness and love and like unconditional love for all, mm-hmm. um, is, is also one, you know, I know that for me personally started with the opposite mm-hmm. and anger. Mm-hmm. And there also has to, you know, I think we have to also, we have to be patient with ourselves as we move, you know, from, from, from total unawareness to awareness around this stuff. Mm-hmm. So it is, Yes, and all of and move, said. move slowly, right? Don't go from immediately like, oh, this thing yeah. was done to me, and now it's done for me. Don't go through the spiritual bypassing, bypassing culture. You know, right. don't do that's that right. shit. Like, feel the anger, feel the despair, feel the rage. Right. You know, like write the letters, burn the letters, scream, go through all those steps. Like, move up the emotional ladder. Right. You know, it's better to be angry than to be in shame. You know, it's better to be in anger uh, than to be than to 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 be in this uh, deficiency of the self, feeling like you're innately a bad person. So move up the ladder, honey. Slowly, slowly, right. you get to courage, yeah. and you get to trust, and then you get to devotion, and you get to to kindness and and peace, and then forgiveness. What is this you're talking arise. about? Is this the I I I understand the concept, but it has a name, right? Is it the emotional ladder? Is that what it is? The emotional states ladder or something? Emotional states ladder. I don't know what it's called. Um, I was exposed to it by a friend of mine that um, she said she introduced it to me. The guy who created the muscle testing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, he's like got the book that has like he's written like a yellow book and a green book and a black book. And I can see the name of them, but I can't. It's the emotional. If you name. put like muscle testing person, mu- something along, you're going to get David. The, is it David Hawking? David something. David I think so. Yeah. yeah. So okay. he has okay. this thing called the emotional scale, and I, I find it fascinating because it's 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 it gives people the opportunity, all of us, to to name our experience without bypassing it, and then knowing where we're at, and knowing that the and more- then knowing you know that like it basically orders the like the lowest states, like the most almost inert states, I mm-hmm, guess, mm-hmm. which are like 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 at the bottom of it is I think it's like depression or some like it's like it's almost unfeeling, non-existent. Apathy, shame, right. guilt, blah blah right. blah. And then you move yeah. up into mm-hmm. more denser, um, and and like you move through like anger is better than depression, That's right. right? Because you're actually having a response, like a, a, a like there, it's actionable mm-hmm. and it's yeah. Right. And then you like keep on going, but you're just moving from one state to the next, the closest state. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not jumping from mm-hmm. depression to joy. Joy. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. And, okay. and, and we, if we do it like that with these gradual uh, steps, you know, the goal is to just keep moving forward. 
you know, yeah. and then you're going to get your way all the way up to like courage and patience and peace. And I'm, I, these are not the words on there. I'm just saying the but things that are more. Then you fall back down and to then you're gonna, depression. Yeah. <laughs> and then you get better I mean, and make your way true. back it's up, you know? It's a constant backslide. It's, it's a constant like up and down. Like it's constantly tumbling into the valley. And I think that that, anyway. Yeah. Wait, wait. So what is the last question? The last question. I just want to say one thing. It, right? Yeah. No, the, yeah. I haven't asked it. The, I just want to say one thing. It's like, as long as the next time you're doing it, there's a little bit more grace. As long as the next time you're doing it, there's just a a little bit more kindness. As long as the next time you do it, there's like a little bit more intimacy with the cosmic mother, a little bit more intimacy with God, with your Buddha nature. Um, That's the only thing that I think we get on a path, you know? And, 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 And then remember that like those really dense emotional states like grief too, um, they're always going to be around. Remember what the Buddha said. It's like, you know, the pervasive suffering, my interpretation of that canonical piece of, of text is, is grief. We're always grieving, honey. It's always here. Yes. We're always going to be experiencing that. So when we think about it like that, because there's, because life is impermanent and because yeah. we are impermanent and because of that, yeah. there's always grief. And so that sadness weaved with beauty and weaved with, with, with all the other aspects of life is always going to be there. So, you know, don't beat yourself up. That's all I'm saying is that, you know, just get better at dancing with the grief. And then you, when you go through the emotional scale um, and you you feel like you fall back again, just know that grief is always there and it's okay. Stop demonizing the demons, honey. Um, yeah. <laughs> what I found is so interesting, like being, you know, having gone through, like, I mean, it's been, I've, the last, the last year has been, well, last couple of years, but but I, the thing that I'm most delighted by and surprised by is the space that I give myself around, like around depression and around my, and around my shifting states. And that is grace, right? It's the space around it, which is not spinning it into an always going to be this way story and allowing myself to know things shift so fast and we change, we're constantly changing and it is it like it's so funny because it it isn't like you just become this highly evolved person it's just that you get space that's it you just get space between your experience mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and your observation your experience yep. i found for me 100% and, and and you're actually like you know quoting the the canonical uh sacred scriptures across many eastern traditions that i've studied it's it's essentially not overly identifying with a passing dark cloud and remember yeah. that we are the motherfucking sky honey okay yes, yeah okay last question last question help me define what it means to be spiritually sassy fuck um <laughs> all right give me a second i'm not really good with on the spot stuff like this mm-hmm. all right let me think about it help me define okay spirit right so spirit's like Spirit is like the connector, right? Spirit's the connector. I, this is how my mind works. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the father, the ghost, the Holy Spirit. The spirit is like the third part of the of it. Um, where the, the spirit is connection between man and God. Um, and sassy is um, – let, de- let me try and define sassy myself. I've never thought to define sassy. Sassy is – this is so boring. I'm sorry, everyone, but this is how – like this is what happens This is head. so good. You have no idea. Sassy I'm over here is <laughs> – sassy is like not – I mean, I don't really have a good definition for it, but it's like not giving a fuck. And I think like to define it, sassy is just in is, – is as it is, right? It's a little – it has an edge. 
So to say like to say like edgy conduit between man and God, I think it also is like um oh I have a word for it. I have a word for it. It's like um irreverent. It's irreverent. Mm. And I think it it also is it is not it is not tied to trying to be anything. It just is what it is. How's that? Genius. Absolutely legendary. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, my God. Holly, thank you so much for being on the show, my love. So grateful for yeah, you. Yeah, I love thank you. you. Thank I you love for you this. Too. This is really nice. This is like a long, long therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I got so much out of this, too. Oh, my God. Like, thank you so much. And I hope thank to you. see you soon in the yeah. flash at some point. Lots of love. Mwah. Lots of love, baby. Thank you.